Amen. It's a love story. Baby, just say yes. That's Taylor Swift's advice, uh, which she offers in her hit song, Love Story. It's pretty simple, set to a pretty catchy tune, and we all so desperately want to hear it. But life is really so simple. We've all had to make the hard choice of distancing ourselves from a dear friend for one reason or another. Parents and teachers, you in particular, know how difficult it is to balance giving an encouraging word with delivering a really hard truth. In fact, some of you have, some of you have actually had to initiate painful breakups or rejections because you knew things just wouldn't work out. Many of you who came to Christ later in life have had to distance yourselves from former friends, dear friends, when you started to follow Jesus. Because of these tough situations, I often think of love and wisdom as two opposing forces. Maybe you do too. Love, we tend to think, is lavish, wisdom prudish. Wisdom is the man who counts the cost before building his tower, Love the woman who gave her last copper coins in the temple offering. Wisdom saves, love spends. Wisdom wants us to love the lovable, the advantageous, the safe. Whereas in our experience, we tend to love the unlovely, or at least the unprofitable, the unfitting, the unnatural, or the unaccepting. Perhaps the most painful moments of our lives happen when we feel wisdom and love in conflict, when we feel like the children of an unhappy divorce forced to choose between two warring parents, the head and the heart. Yet our texts this Trinity Sunday can flip our world upside down. They present to us a different way, a different God even, whose economy is prodigality, whose wisdom is love, and whose love is wisdom. Our Old Testament reading from Proverbs 8 presents us with the figure of wisdom embodied as a woman. And she's not the first woman we meet in Proverbs either. Earlier, in Proverbs 5, we were introduced to the adulteress, against whose ways a father warns his son. It's quite fitting, don't you think, that this Father's Day, we have the opportunity to heed this father's warning. Now, the father warns against the adulteress because her lips drip honey and her end is wormwood. This adulteress is a central character in the early chapters of Proverbs, continually reoccurring in chapters five through seven, and then reemerging and reborn in chapter nine as Lady Folly, the direct antithesis of Lady Wisdom. I want us tonight to think about the contrast between these two characters, Lady Folly and Lady Wisdom. Proverbs does not just present us with two different ways, it presents us with two different lovers, two different objects for our affection. We are here reminded that the author of Proverbs is actually the subject of the Song of Songs, the only way which Proverbs knows is the way of love. We will love. That's reality. But what will we love? Or rather, who will we love? Well, who should we love? Who is this great lady wisdom? We have seen that she is lovely, to be desired better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. And yet, and yet hear this, wisdom is not just desirable, she is desiring. She woos us, she calls. To you, O oh men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. Just like a woman of flesh and blood, wisdom is not just object, she is subject. She calls. 
quite a radical thing to profess your love to wisdom. Do you think you could honestly say that you love wisdom? Not like loving pizza or poodles or anything like that. It's more like loving a wife or husband or father or mother or son or daughter. Could you say that you love wisdom in that way as a lover? To honestly desire wisdom in this way is radical indeed, certainly beyond me. But to say that wisdom loves you, that changes everything. That really does change everything. Our text tells us that she calls and delights in the children of man. Notice that turn of phrase, children of man. Guess what? You're a child of man, and so are you and you. And that means wisdom calls to you and delights in you. She loves you. Isn't that weird? Isn't that wonderful? Our psalm captures some of the surprise of this sentiment. We can, when we consider the wisdom of God in creation, the forming of the stars, clear and bright and piercing as a sword, the heavens expansive over all our sight like a tapestry above us, and the moon still and pale in contemplation. We are radically humbled. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? But man also is marvelously made and cherished by this same wisdom, crowned with glory and honor, made a little lower than the heavenly beings, and given dominion over all creation. The wisdom that delights in us is the wisdom that took special care in forming us. Friends, Lady Wisdom can't just be a poetic personification. Poetic personifications don't love you. They can't. Only real things can love you. Because, dear friends, to love is to be real. The early church, both heretics and saints, Arius and Athanasius, knew the name of the wisdom that loves us that woos us, that calls to us. Who else but the carpenter's son from Galilee, the eternal word of the Father, could be called the first of God's acts of old? Who else was set up at the first before the beginnings of the earth? We must confess with St. Paul in his first epistle to the Corinthians that it is Christ and none else who has become to us wisdom from God. For just as wisdom was brought forth from God before all creation, so the Son was eternally generated from the Father, is ever and always begotten of his Father before all worlds, God from God, light from light, very God of very God. There is thus no time when the Son was not, when the Father was not Father to the Son, no time when the lover did not love the beloved with the love between them. And we know this beloved Son as wisdom. This is not because only the Son has wisdom, Far be it from us to say that the Holy Spirit or the Father don't have wisdom. But we know God's wisdom through God's love. We know God's love in the sending of the Son. The wisdom of God just is the know-how of God to accomplish the love of God in the world. And we know this love, brothers and sisters, by the illumination of the Spirit of Holiness, our guide into all the truth that is Jesus Christ. And so, through the wise love of God, we find ourselves brought into the holy mystery of the triune God himself. Yet how, how are we brought into this mystery? It is by faith. From our reading from St. Paul's epistle to the Romans this evening, we know that it is only through faith that we are justified. We enter through Christ by faith into grace, and in this grace we stand. Don't miss the spatial metaphor here. We are standing in grace, 
like standing in a puddle or a house or a universe. Can you just imagine it? Grace surrounding you like air, you standing in the middle of it, taking up its space. This is our bridal chamber, our salvation. It is the nuptial peace made ours through Christ's embrace, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, beholding the king in his glorious beauty. But what has this vision of God's love for us to do with faith, with rejoicing and suffering? Why is the darkness of faith and the sufferings of this life the pathway to the divine light of eternal triune fellowship? Well, this too is the wise love of God. Just as the wisdom of God is made known to us in the love of God, so is the love of God made known to us through his wisdom. The love of God that comes from God is not a reckless sort of love that follows a divine logic, a rhythm made manifest in what St. Paul called the economy, the plan, the administration of our salvation, which was ordained by the Father, accomplished by the Son, and applied by the Spirit. And this economy, this plan, like any other economy, involves cost, involves suffering, personal suffering, the suffering of the cross. But I think when we come across this word, suffering, in the Bible, we might feel a little guilty we don't know what to do with it. We think of the martyrs in the Middle East or the hungry in Puerto Rico or all over the world, and we think to ourselves, how can what I'm going through be compared with that? How can I call rebuking my child or breaking up with my boyfriend suffering? Well, St. James makes a very similar point to St. Paul, and he tells us to count it all joy when we experience trials of various kinds. Of course, some trials are greater than others, but they're all trials of various kinds. They are all occasions for faith to work through love. We don't have to be ashamed to make these words our own. They are for us too. In our own way, we too are called to rejoice in suffering, both small and great. And this is the amazing thing. God's wisdom and love are so great that he is actually able to take the suffering we experience in the world, both the mundane and the horrific, and give it meaning by uniting it with his own in Christ. For the suffering that God in his wisdom allows us to experience in this life, he allows us to experience in the wisdom of his love. In the words of T.S. Eliot, love is the unfamiliar name behind the hands that wove the intolerable shirt of flame. In other words, God's wisdom means that God has meaning in suffering, and this meaning just is love. For love is able to bear all things, believe all things, endure all things. The wise love of God unites our suffering with God's own self and transforms it into a sacrament through the suffering body of our Lord Jesus. When we receive his body and blood in the Holy Eucharist, we are made one body with him, as our liturgy says, and our sufferings become one with his. And in so doing, our love is directed away from Lady Folly to the wise love of God made manifest in the sending of the Son, Jesus of Nazareth. For this suffering, we are told, produces endurance in us, which produces character, which produces hope, and that hope does not put us to shame. How, we might ask, can suffering produce hope? Doesn't it usually lead to hopelessness? Certainly, certainly has several times for me. Well, 
Suffering can only lead to hope when we have been justified by faith. We believe that despite appearances, God's love is united with God's wisdom to prepare for us an eternal weight of glory, fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For we have the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives as a guarantee that God's wisdom really is wise, his love really loving. We believe it, but we also experience it firsthand. Our faith is helped by the helper Jesus promised in our gospel lesson. In the person of the Son, Lady Wisdom calls to the children of men, but she calls through the Spirit, the Spirit of truth, who declares what is the Son's, which he has from the Father. And the Spirit assures us through suffering and in hope that the wisdom of God really is love. The same Spirit who vindicated God's love for Jesus in raising him from the dead lives in us and assures us of his love. For the Spirit is the one who pours God's love into our hearts and the one who leads us into all truth, which means that by listening to him, through his internal testimony and his witness in the word, we can have the courage to receive God's love and the courage to learn to love wisely as God has so wisely loved us. Because the sum of the matter is this. We know God's wisdom through God's love, and we know God's love through the sending of the Son and the Spirit. The wise love of God just is the gospel of God, his good news to us. And this is the good news. We are in a love story. Even when things look grim, we know by love from the Spirit that God's wisdom will prevail. And all we have to really do is say yes, again and again, and to let that yes, strengthened by suffering, conform our lives to the wise love of the triune God who enables us to love wisely in the world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.